Welcome to the Soul's Way podcast. This is your host, Emily Ann Brandt. I am a proud First Nations Mohawk author, speaker, and mentor here to meet you at the intersection of personal development and decolonization. I truly believe that when we see ourselves and one another, mind, body, emotion, and most of all, soul and spirit, we can break through systematic, ancestral, and generational ways of being that we came here to disrupt and rise above. We can lean into the ways that heal our spirits. I know we can do this through honest conversations, radical responsibility, and healing together in community. Through my stories and the incredible conversations with some truly amazing guests, my hope is that you leave each episode with a more open heart and that you feel emboldened in your medicine and your voice, knowing your ripple effect matters. Our ripple effect matters. Thank you for being here. Let's dive in. Hello, beautiful souls. We are interrupting our special bonus episodes to bring you the juiciest conversation that I'm pretty sure is going to break the internet this episode. This is a highly anticipated episode. As soon as we announce that we are going to be having this conversation, I have received so many DMs like, when is it coming out? When is it available? Can't wait to tune in. And so it's here. It's ready. So, so excited for you to be a fly on the wall in this very brave conversation. Now, if you don't know what this conversation is about to be, or if it's not obvious by the title, I am sitting down with Lauren and Liz Love, and we're going to talk about being her, being a white woman, navigating the spiritual coaching industry, um, being a woman who very much is drawn to indigenous culture and plant medicines and different traditions and tools that are from indigenous culture. And how I feel about that and um, how she felt seeing my work and how she moved through the triggers of that and just just so many juicy things in here that I'm so excited to play for you. But I just wanted to preface this, um, this episode by saying this was not an easy conversation for either of us. We were both nervous. <laughs> Lauren was nervous on the day that I was coming on her podcast and then we kind of switched and I was calm and then we kind of switched and then the day that I was interviewing her for this, um, I was very nervous. I was really, really uncomfortable because I knew I was going to have to ask really tough questions, but I just want to let you all know Lauren was like, you know, do not hold back. Like, ask whatever you need to ask. Ask the tough questions. I'm ready for it. Like, you know, bring it on. It's okay. Um, because I shared with her, like, I'm, I don't know, my people pleaser is coming up and I'm, I'm just getting anxious about this episode, but we both just kind of looked at each other and decided, you know what, this conversation is so much bigger than, you know, you or I, this is, this is medicine for everyone. This is just such a big, bigger conversation. It's bigger than us. And so that's what helped, um, us push past the discomfort and have this really, candid conversation and I also want to share that I invited Lauren to you know talk about anything she wanted to on this episode I said do you have any programs coming up that you want me to work in to my questions you know can I help promote anything for you and she was like no absolutely like I don't want to bring that energy I'm totally up for just this this important conversation that needs to happen and don't need to bring any like you know in my own personal agenda so I just want to share that with you all um, and if you enjoy and appreciate Lauren's vulnerability, 
the bravery of this conversation, any takeaways, any thoughts, we want to hear from you. So make sure you tag us both once you listen. So without further ado, let's dive in. All right. Welcome everyone to the Soul's Way podcast. We are about to dive into a really juicy conversation today, a potentially difficult conversation. Um, I am here with Lauren Eliz Love. If you don't know Lauren, she's at Lauren of Love on Instagram. And um, I'll, I'll let I'll let you introduce yourself in your own words, Lauren, in just a sec. But I just want to kind of explain to everyone what this conversation is is about to be. So <laughs> Lauren reached out to me, um, having seen some of my work that I do around decolonizing the the spirituality and coaching world, and um, offered to do a podcast swap. So um, she mentioned it was important to hear from other perspectives besides like the white woman's healing journey, which I really appreciated. And so I have an episode coming out on Lauren's podcast. And today we get to have Lauren on our podcast to have just an honest conversation that we think is going to be such medicine for everyone who's listening about being a white woman in the spiritual coaching world and industry and having to navigate um some things like cancel culture or um, walking the line between appropriation and appreciation and all the things that can come up. So thank you so much, Lauren, for being here and being up for this conversation. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself in your own words? Thank you. Yeah, um, I'm really honored to be here. I'm really excited to have this very scary conversation and um to have it be a conversation that is shared, I think is just so beautiful. So thank you for holding the space for this. Um, to everybody listening, hello, my name is Lauren. I am a I'm a human being on a deep spiritual path, uh, working with plant medicine um, that has drastically changed my life. As many people who work with plant medicine will say, they do this work because it has changed their life. Um, I'm a facilitator. I am uh, an apprentice studying with teachers. I am also the creator of my own personal mission, Lauren of Love, which is dedicated to helping women heal through online courses and digital programs that focus deeply on uh, inner trauma work, healing chronic illness, and uh, clearing the mind of what really holds us back from true fulfillment in our life. So that's a little bit about me, um, but I'm sure we'll go more into it as we as we talk more deeply. For sure. Yeah. Thank you for that introduction and for sharing uh, the work that you do. So my, my first thing I'm curious about is how you felt when you <laughs> When you kind of first started seeing my posts talking about decolonizing the coaching industry, kind of calling out sort of the the appropriation and the things that we see, um, because we've been in each other's like, you know, worlds for a while, we follow each other, uh, we sort of worked together before. How did you feel when you started seeing those posts? Yeah, you know, it's interesting, because I feel like my, um, I have such an awareness now, I'm sure like, people who have uh, been in this position, right, where they're starting to see these things pop up. I have such a personal awareness now of like what my triggers mean to me, you know, and sometimes I think in the beginning stages of our own development, we're not aware of what our triggers mean to us. We're just aware of our triggers, right? Mm -hmm. So um, for uh, for the, <laughs> the path of this work, 
I've noticed like even my relationship with plant medicine, there were certain medicines that if you were to ask me, you know, five years ago, six years ago, if I would work or ever try those things, I would be like, are you freaking crazy? Absolutely not. And so I had this very like triggered rejection, right? And and I find that to be very interesting thematically to how I felt when I first started seeing your content, which was like, mm-hmm. well, what am I supposed to do? Right. It's not my fault. I'm white. Like that was my first Mm -hmm. honest, intuitive reaction, you know? And I think that's like a very, you know, I think it's really important that we pay attention to the triggered responses that we are feeling within ourselves, because if there is that very quick aggression to get defensive or to be in that guarded energy or to say no abrasively to what you're receiving, you, I would invite you to pay more attention to the fact that that's coming up and, and not so much attention to what is being said in that internal dialogue. Because to me, it wasn't about, this is not truth. To me, it was, why am I so defensive towards this? And that's where I could open up that exploration of really looking at the resistance that I was feeling and doing the work. Wow. Yeah, thank you for sharing so honestly because I think that's a <laughs> that's a pretty common reaction with the types of, you know, the the posts that I share and the types of messages that are out there calling calling some of this stuff out or calling people in whatever you want to say, you know. Um and I was just I, I was just recording a video today actually for a reel that was like there is no work there is no personal work like decolonization and anti-racism work. Like if you're into personal growth and you're into facing your shadows and you have, you know, white privilege, you have settler ancestry, like you got to do decolonization work. There is no other work like this work. Like you will have to face all the shadows, all the triggers. And I think the fact that you saw the posts and you felt very reactive and very triggered And then you reached out to me to see if I wanted to be on your podcast and you wanted to come on my podcast. And like, you're just leaning into that is Mm -hmm. such a beautiful example that I think everyone listening can really learn from and be inspired by. Yeah. I think it's important that, you know, I know you have a masterclass that I've purchased the round table and that energy of the round table, like we need to all sit together, like, you know, yeah. I think about, so like I have a, I'll just share this story. I was in Sedona for a year, which is like cultural appropriation central. If you've ever been mm-hmm. to Sedona, it is like the the point of, of cultural appropriation. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the Hopi tribe, you have the Navajo tribe, and Sedona is kind of this area that wasn't really owned by any particular tribe. And so they kind of steal everything on all these ways of making money and profiting come, come through the indigenous. So um, anyway, I was there and I was I was there studying my spirituality, working with plant medicine teachers and allies. I was very chronically ill, and that's what brought me to Sedona for healing. And I found a community, a quote unquote tribe, you know, Sedona's like very small. And in this community, we we would have these very difficult conflicts. And I got to watch for the first time, what healthy navigation of conflict looked like because for so long and so much of my life, if somebody didn't agree with you, you hated them and you pushed them away and you were bullied or they bullied you or you bullied them. And it was just complete discord and disconnect. And um, my teacher who was like a really big advocate of 
having healthy dialogue. He said, you know, Native American tribes, when they were arguing, they would bury their weapons in the ground and they would sit on the floor face to face, eye to eye, and they would do the thing, you know? And, and I think in this world where we don't live in communities anymore and we're very separate from one another, there is this really easy way to isolate, to cancel, to outcast. And I think that really uh, healing is listening, you know, and we have to be able to do that with one another. So these roundtable conversations, whether that's just you and me sitting eye to eye or having a group of people, I think it's so important. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that is very much the indigenous perspective on things is we believe that, you know, everything we're very big fans of circles and I don't want to perpetuate like um, pan indigenous, you know, culture and, and, and kind of push this belief that all indigenous people have the exact same culture and beliefs, but we do share some common worldviews And one of them is, um, you know, that we're all connected, that we're all equal, we're all one, we're all one with the land, we're one with each other. And we love our circles. We love everything in circles and cycles and seasons, but also we love to sit in circles and have everyone be, you know, equal. Everyone has an equal um, chance to say their piece, to say, uh, you know, to share their perspective. And that's something that I think kind of also makes my work unique too, working in working with white women and working in anti-racism and decolonization um, is that I don't just like immediately shut down other perspectives. I want to lean in it, but I want us all to lean in. I want it to be reciprocal, right? Healthy reciprocity where we're all learning and sharing um, from one another. Um, But I was, (laughs) I was curious when you said the word tribe, if you were going to be referring to an actual tribe or if you meant like a group of people, I'm putting air quotes because it's a language that people use, right? It's not necessarily what we identified as, but just, you know, that there is that sort of terminology and, and um, yeah, that word, you have to be so careful with, like, I see this a lot, something that really um, bothers me just because I've been doing a good amount of study. I think it's like, you know, I'm, I'm a student and I'm going to, I'm going to screw up and I'm going to say things that are wrong and I'm going to be inappropriate and have to learn and get some corrections. I think that's like really important to just speak to that. Um, but something that really is quite triggering for me is when people claim the word shaman. And I think that's a, that's a really big problem that I've, I've witnessed in the online space. Um, And I got a really deep correction around that word when I was starting my path because I was waking up to shamanic technology and I was starting to explore these concepts of shamanic technology and um, had to really understand that like a shaman, what a shaman is, you know, it's, it's something that is not chosen by the individual, but chosen by the community and the tribe that they're brought up in and that this 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 identifier to say shaman, you know, I went and sat with a shaman in November. And when he was 10 years old, he was initiated and put in the jungle in isolation for five years by himself to study mm-hmm. the plants, right? So that's a shaman, right? So I think it's like, that's where we talk about, like, that's not cultural appreciation. That's cultural ignorance in my book, you know? Um, 
but I'm not, I'm not one to, to preach that. But yeah, that's just what was coming up when you were yeah. talking about tribe as well, because these words, we have to be really careful. Our language, language is important. You have to pay attention to what you're saying, how you're saying it and, and what your meaning is behind it. Absolutely. Yeah. Tribe is one of the big words. I think a lot of people are aware of it now that it's like not okay to claim that word as like, you know, building my tribe, meaning you're building a community, just say community, um, because you don't get to take like the shiny good parts of a culture, but not take on the rest as we were talking about on your podcast. And we can talk about more today, but tribe is one of those words. And also we hear it a lot. This is just a side note because I think a lot of people don't realize this. Um, people ask me all the time, what tribe are you from? Um, but not every Indigenous nation or community identifies with the word tribe. Some people, some groups call themselves nations, communities, bands, um, you know, councils, and some tribes. So don't assume, uh, assume that um, everyone, you know, resonates with that term so instead you can just ask someone like what community are you from um if you feel if you feel like you want to lean in and learn more so that's just a side note on that but yeah language is so powerful and I think it's easy to kind of roll our eyes and be like oh well you know back in the day we could just say what we want and like people didn't get so sensitive sensitive about everything um but we have to realize the the heaviness behind what makes words sensitive like you know, learning more about the real history and not even history, like the ongoing oppression, the current issues that are faced by Indigenous people and people of the global majority that make these words carry so much more weight for us than for um, than for others, right? Like another example that's not, um, not an Indigenous example. Actually, no, let me give an Indigenous example first. The word savage. This is something we hear all the time People being like, oh, that was so savage. Oh, you're so savage. Um, meaning like badass, right? And so if you mean badass, just say badass because savage, and I actually hear a lot of other people of the global majority who are non-Indigenous using this word as well. But I think people just don't realize this was a word that was used up, still is used by some very ignorant people, but used up until very recently to dehumanize Indigenous people. Um, and make it like we're uncivilized, we're savages, right? It was like a really bad slur. Um, and that dehumanization was used to justify the land theft and the genocide and the abuse. It was, yeah, very dehumanizing. So every time I hear that word, I just like, I have a reaction in my body. And I, I yeah, I feel a strong reaction to that word. But it's something that most people wouldn't have even like maybe thought about before. So. Yeah, you're teaching me something because there's a song that uh, has been sung and used in ceremony um, called Savage Daughter. And this whole song is like, I am my mother's savage daughter, the one who runs barefoot, cursing sharp stones. I won't cut my hair. You know, it's like this very like wild woman. You mm -hmm. you want to say you're your mother's wild, you know, daughter. That's what you're trying to say. Yeah. So, yeah, thanks for teaching me. That's a really eye-opening moment right there for me. I didn't yeah. ever think of that. Yeah, and if if Indigenous people do use that word or they use the word Indian, which some people are spelling it N-D-N, um, it's a way to take the power back. So it is okay for an Indigenous person to use it in that way, but it's not okay for a non-Indigenous person to use it. Oh, that's so interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned kind of having to navigate some things before, especially as you first started embracing 
wanting to bring plant medicine to other people, right? And wanting to, oh, another word. Let me just talk about one more word before we move on. Um, I was going to say facilitating ceremonies. Even the word ceremony, my goodness, this word, I hosted an event um, in January. It was virtual and I called it a virtual ceremony. I was like, let's have, you know, let's decolonize our new year. Let's have a new year ceremony. We're going to light some smoke medicine. We're going to release 2022. We're going to bring in 2023. And it was beautiful. And I spoke some of my Mohawk language. I gave the opening address, which gives thanks to all of creation. So it was very ceremonial. And I, to me, like a ceremony is, um, it can be anything when you feel like you are connecting with all of creation, you're connecting with your highest self. Like to me, that is any setting that you are making sacred is a ceremony. But then later that month, I go back home to the reservation that I'm from and I attend an actual longhouse ceremony. And um, that same weekend, some of my family members were like, maybe you shouldn't be using that word ceremony because you might upset like actual, you know, pipe carriers and people who run the longhouse in those very sacred, very like um, cherished ceremonies that have struggled to be passed down, you know, and, and to continue on, maybe don't use the word ceremony. So even I, as an Indigenous person, was getting, um, you know, kind of getting some trouble Correct. for using that word. And I'm like, but I said to my mom, I'm like, but white women use it all the time. So like, if anyone can use it, I can use it as an Indigenous person. But that is just another word that people don't understand how much weight it carries. Um, and that is another word that is used all the time. Um, but I think when you're outside of the community, like if you're not part of a, um, a first nations community, or you haven't spent a lot of time in one, you don't really, you don't really have the lens and, and you don't really grasp how sensitive things like this are. So even for me, um, being from the reserve, being of Mohawk, you know, ancestry, I struggle with things like wearing a ribbon skirt and wearing beaded earrings because I'm like, are people going to be like, who does she think she is? She hasn't even been going to Longhouse and now she thinks like she's Miss Mohawk, you know, there and there is that judgment because there is lateral shame. There's lateral violence that happens because of the trauma, because of people feeling shame that they're, you know, they're disconnected. So then they want to be like, well, no, I know more Mohawk than you, or I'm more Indigenous than you. Who are you to, you know, wear those things or post those things online? Whereas I see my white counterparts all the time and they can throw on the earrings and they would happily wear a ribbon skirt and rock the feathers and they don't even blink. They don't even think twice about it. And I'm like, do you know how long it took me to wear beaded earrings? Like, that's the thing I think when you're not in the community, you don't understand the heaviness of some of those things. But then in the spiritual communities, the, you know, the sisterhood circles, those types of um, like the Sedona <laughs> retreats and those circles that I know you're probably very familiar with. It's so normalized to, you know, have the drums and have the smoke medicine, right? The sage, the, the feathers to have indigenous, indigenous elements that it's just it's so normalized. I want to make sure that people aren't getting desensitized to how heavy it is. Yeah. And thank you for saying all that. Cause I think it's, um, there's so much coming up for me that I want to speak to just based on that short paragraph mm -hmm. of what you shared. Um, you know, it is very much normalized. And while that is a beautiful thing from one perspective, it's also a quite, I don't want to use the word dangerous, but just, um, 
for me, maybe misaligned energy because what's happening is that people are taking like, just as an example, okay, I I have some some women who have come into my containers with my teacher. I've brought them in to study my my teacher for background. Um, he is uh, he is half of an uh, of an indigenous tradition that I cannot recall if it's Mohawk or if it's otherwise. Um, but he has studied in Native American traditions of the Lakota. Okay. He's also studied in Shipibo and Santo Daime traditions of ayahuasca. So he's kind of this eclectic bag of study. Um, and I I bring that up because when people come and sit in his ceremonies, they're not just one tradition, and that can be a very different thing for different people. Um, but I've brought people into that space to, to invite women who are really called to do this deep work to study. And one of those women went on to her regular life to integrate and apply. And she had shared a couple of days ago that she was in a cacao ceremony on Instagram. And she's sharing screenshots of these vi- videos of this ceremony. And I'm just looking at this and I'm like, what is this? Like, this is not, this is not a cacao ceremony. Like everybody's in these like fancy professional like outfits and high heels and they're sitting in white chairs and they're not even on the floor and there's no altar and they're drinking cacao with their journal. And I'm like, this is, that's not what this is. Right. And so I I think what is happening when things are becoming so desensitized or so like public Mm -hmm. and accessible and available that now this culture is becoming completely whitewashed and the traditions, whether it is Guatemalan traditions of cacao or ayahuasca, Peru or Brazil or Colombian, or we're talking about native American traditions. um, It's really important to me that, you know, as a white woman, especially that I'm studying directly to the path, right. To going to the source as closely as I can. Um, So that's, that's one part of this, right what even is a ceremony, right? And and at the same time, like who is the person to choose that, but also the people who carry the traditions, you know what I mean? Like that's kind of mm-hmm. my response. Um, yeah. And then the other thing uh, that was coming through as you were talking, I've lost it in this current moment in time. Um, it was about it was about Sedona, but I'm sure I'm sure we'll flow in in your next <laughs> thought. But that's yeah, I've lost the other point that I wanted to make on all these things. And so was funny. it about like so I was talking about me struggling to wear the beaded earrings and things like that, but it like embracing the singing, the rattles, the drums, all of that is very normalized yeah. in those okay. like Sedona type circles. Yeah. And and this is um, the thing about that too, is like, I think we have to remember like uh, just a story that comes to mind in Sedona. I have a dear friend of mine. She's a medicine sister. Um, her partner at the time had a drum that was a very specific type of drum that was used in ceremony. And he took it to the river and he was banging and a native came up to him and said, yo, bro, what are you what the fuck are you doing with that? Like he was like angry. He's like, do you, do you know what that is? And you're just here like banging it out. And he he didn't get it at the time. And I, I think it's also important to just say like not every white person is going to get it right away, you know. And I I try to I'm I'm that way. I don't get it right away. So like I try to be a little bit compassionate with myself in that way. Um, mm-hmm. But um, what I did want to bring up about this is that these traditions. What we have to remember is like so. 
so my study of native tradition is is just that of whatever Chief Crow Dog has passed down. I've taken classes with my teacher with these songs, and it's really specifically taught to us that these songs are not to be shared in ceremony, that you are not a medicine carrier of these songs, you are just a student, and that the person holding these songs and singing these sets, like, you cannot record these songs, you cannot mm -hmm. put these songs out there, um, taking pictures of pipes or feathers. This is really, to me, a very insensitive thing to do. Um, maybe not taking pictures of feathers so much, but like to wear a feather in your hair. These are things that were completely outlawed, right? Like people, I know, I know a teacher who is of a particular native tradition that got raided for his feathers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have to, you have to be mindful too, that like, I work with hawk medicine. I have a hawk fan. I've made it. I, I don't wear feathers in my hair. That's a really strong like no for me. Um, but yeah, I am I am walking this fine line that's quite uncomfortable at times to be doing things that are, uh, you know, in that shadowy area of this work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one of my questions for you was, and I think I know the answer, but let's just ask it anyway. If, you know, if it's such a fine line to walk and if there are so many challenges that come with it, um, you know, why, why facilitate these like plant medicine circles and ceremonies? And, you know, why are you so drawn to indigenous culture? Why not just um, look into your own ancestral lineage? Why not just teach mindset or business? Why, why not just use these tools for yourself? Why bring them into your own business? Thank you for asking. Yeah. Um, to be to be clear, um, my first response is I don't have the answer to that. And I really wish I did. And that's like my God's honest truth. I my journey of facilitating was a very interesting journey. I think there are a lot of people who show up and say, I want to facilitate ayahuasca, I want to facilitate cacao, I want to do this and that. Um I was in a deep study with my teacher because I was very sick and that's why I continued to study with him. And I remember this and I, I shared this story actually a couple of weeks ago that um, I had no intention to help facilitate prayer. I had no intention to help do healing work on any level of plant medicine. I I went to Sedona for my study and I, I said, hey, I'm not going to be guarding. I'm going to be doing my inner work. And I got there and he had no team and everybody was gone. He said, you have to sit here. And he put me in second chair and I had no idea what I was doing. I never wanted to sit there, but it was something that happened. And um, I think when I look back on my relationship with facilitating medicine containers, my, my perspective of this now, knowing that this may change and this may evolve and this may not be my answer even 20 minutes from now in this conversation. Um, I've always wanted to give back in devotion, right? And so when I know that people are coming to my teachers who are coming to my teachers who not just serve these medicines, but have permission to serve, that's also very important. Um, my My teachers and guides in every medicine I work with have always been granted a permission from elders in the native rooted tradition of that medicine. And they say, please go carry this because it's true. Um, you know, you go to Peru, for example, and the shaman that I just sat with, who is my teacher's teacher, Papa Gilberto, he doesn't have a 
person to pass down his traditions to. The kids are jacked up on Coca-Cola and iPhones and cell phones, and they want nothing to do with their traditions. They really don't. So to be able to be in that place where some of these, to acknowledge that, that some of these Native people are saying, please carry this, please share this, please get this to the West, you know, that has to be acknowledged and spoken to as well. Um, I, I question my integrity every day. I really do. Like, what, why am I doing this? Is this in right relationship? Am I, I'm I'm doing something that I know I'm going to face a lot of judgment for. I'm doing something that I know people aren't going to be happy with. I'm doing something that I know people will ask that question. Why don't you just go run a business? For the record, I don't take money when I do this work. So what I'm doing, right, I don't have a financial exchange for. I'm of service. And it's completely separate from the work I do here as Lauren of Love. And I you know, I share that because I think it's like, man, like that that's a whole nother conversation of like ayahuasca coming online, you know, and being an ally for her and a protector for her and bring, being in a place where I'm holding a light for people to come and do work that is quite dangerous when being done in the wrong ways with the wrong facilitators, right? Right. So there's a part of that too. Um, but that's just my long-winded answer to say, I don't know. Mm. I don't know why I do it. It's, it's just here. So to be clear, um, and I, 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 from my perspective, it just seems like it's transformed your life so much that you, you know, you can't not share it and it's more um, like a calling. But the thing is with appropriation, like when you, um, and I know you just said you don't, you don't take money for when you're facilitating. Um, but I imagine even your Lauren of love, your work, and I'm not super familiar with your current programs, but um, like they would have some of that infused into it, right? Like I know you have a plant medicine program and that's in there. And so that is like taking things from a culture that's not yours and using it for your own personal gain or profit. Like that is the literal definition of appropriation right when it becomes appreciation is when you are doing that maybe you're doing it for a profit but you are um, always acknowledging where it's rooted which sounds like you're doing you know locally sourcing it where did you get that information who gave you permission to share did they give you permission to share but also giving back to or collaborating with the people from which you learned or giving back to the communities that you work with so my question, I guess, is what are you doing, if anything, to give back to um, the Indigenous peoples from whom you learned these things and or what steps are you taking towards um, decolonizing your practice? Yeah, so I, I really love this because um, the heal, if you take the HEAL program, for example, the HEAL program is a step-by-step process of healing that does not involve plant medicine, but the truth is that that process of what I walk people through emotionally and spiritually was the exact process that I was walked on through ayahuasca. So it's almost like it's a very trippy woo woo thing to say, but it's almost like that program was birthed through ayahuasca herself. Right. So I've had a lot of conversations with my husband because right now we're in our second and a half year of the heal program running. 
And we've been talking a lot about what it would look like if we had a BIPOC um, uh, scholarship, but also recognizing that that's just one piece of the equation, right? I think something that's really important to me in this season is to start bringing in um, experts as guests who can come and speak about the specific issues that I don't have the authority or credibility or experience to talk about. Um, that's really important. My spaces are very white and that's an issue for me, right? I don't love that. That's really a challenge. Um, so for me, it's like what has to change and evolve so that I can help more people so that they feel welcome and safe. So that's for the HEAL program and just being mindful of that. As far as the plant medicine masterclass goes, I actually, it's funny because when this program first came out, it's a 101 and it's like, these are all the things I wish I knew before plant medicine. And a lot of it is about safety. Much of that training is like, these are the questions to ask before you decide whether or not you're going to get in the car with somebody who's facilitating this work. You know, do they have permission to serve the medicine? How long have they been serving? Who have they trained under? Where does the medicine come from? You know, all these really important educational things that are very missed because what ended up happening for me that I've observed in this time of work uh, was that women would start to come to me and tell me these horror stories about being sexually assaulted in the medicine, um, about being locked in a room and trapped and not being able to get help on the medicine and being violated and 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 not having a safe container and the damage that that did. So I knew it was really important to me because I was very blessed when I fell into my study, right? I I went down a path of like rhythmia, which is a whole nother, we'll talk about that too, I'm sure. But rhythmia is like wildly culturally appropriating. It's mm -hmm. like, it's really right. horrible. Um, and so, but they educate really well about, you know, this is, this is what your experience might be like, and this is what the medicine does and blah, 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 blah. Um, so I was blessed in that way that I had that type of safe container. Uh, and then my teacher has, you know, he's been serving and working with the medicine since 1996. But now that the medicine's coming online, whether it's Bufo, Ayahuasca, Hape, Combo, all these things, um, I just want people to like ask the right questions so that they feel protected. So I did that. And then the conversations where we're talking about medicines like sage, uh, you know, that was a deep conversation I had with my teacher asking him like, hey, can I actually share this? Um, you know, it was really important. Um, but to be clear on what I'm doing to give back 20% of our transactions on that plant medicine masterclass go back to my teachers who go to Sundance and who offer the, that medicine to the community. And I think that's you know, a really important thing. Is all the money going to Sundance? Probably not. I let them choose where that those funds go. Most of the time it's either going there or it's going into um, the Peruvian traditions that we've been working with as well, because most of my study is actually ayahuasca. It's not native tradition of America, right? So, um, but yeah, I, I think this is all, I hope that answers your question is like what mm -hmm. I'm doing, but I will also say that I need to be doing more. Like I, I don't study nearly as much as I should. I don't read books nearly as much as I should. I don't have these conversations nearly as much as I should. And, and I think that needs to be acknowledged within myself as well, that I can always be doing more. Um, mm -hmm. 
all yeah. of us. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing all of that. Yeah. Definitely answers the question and I'm glad to hear. I, I know that you hold these medicines and teachings with such reverence, but um, yeah, thank you for answering that question. Um, and I agree. There's, there's always more learning to do. Um, you, like, yes, a BIPOC scholarships are nice, but you know, you know, <laughs> it's no. not enough on its own. If the actual infrastructure is not there in your business, if it's not there in your words, in your marketing and your messaging, in your ability to hold space for people with different lived experience in, and also trust just takes, it takes time to build with people between white people and people of the global majority. Um, because, you know, for obvious reasons, trust has been broken so many times, especially when it comes to our, you know, our cultures and our ways of being, being taken and then now being bottled up and sold by the people who took them or the ancestors of the one who took ones who took them among so many other things that create trust issues and barriers, but there's so much that can be done and there's so much learning. I think um, the important thing is to just be, be aware that it's, it's going to be a forever journey. Like you said, the learning never stops. I have blind spots as well. That's why I'm always um, trying to listen to specifically black and brown women, because that is a different experience than being indigenous, especially with me being white passing. I know that I can never fully understand, right, the experience of a black or brown person, but it's my job to constantly lean in and listen to podcasts that are hosted by black and brown women and read books and and stay in, for myself, stay in decolonization and anti-racism studies. So um, thank you for mentioning that. I think that's, yeah, that's so true. Um, you mentioned having to navigate some of, you know, some lessons publicly, especially near the beginning of your journey, if y'all could see her face right now. Um, what are some of the things that you had to learn or go through publicly and how did you navigate that? <laughs> well, let me, let me just say, I'm pretty confident that the lessons are not done because I'm always learning. Right. Of course. Um, but like universe, let's be like a little bit more easy on me, please. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard. It's fucking hard it sometimes. Like you, you don't. I, I, I feel like I, I had no idea until I had an idea, and I was like, wow, this is a really hard thing to navigate. Um. So, uh, one thing that happened was that in the early days of recognizing my gifts, that I, I this is what I think. My, my belief. If you really are. A person of integrity who's like really meant to do this work, you're gonna get your butt kicked when you are in your ego. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's just it's gonna happen. The universe is gonna go, stop it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're just gonna get smacked. So mm -hmm. I had this integration within me, which I um I see a lot in my clients because I see a lot of women who are waking up to their their power as a human being who is also God and spiritual and sacred and holy and, and, and women for the first time are recognizing their power. I had a, one of my facilitators or teachers or healers when I was in Sedona, I said something to him, he was a body healer and I was losing my ability to walk at the time. But I kept saying like, I'm, I'm powerful. I'm so fucking powerful. I like would say that. And he looks at me and goes, Lauren, if you have to say it, <laughs> sorry. sorry. So, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it, and it's true. And I think this is what happens for a lot of 
uh, people who are coming into their awakening and coming into their gifts where they feel the power of that and then they let that take over because it feels good to be really in their power, right? And so they don't have humility, they don't have humbleness, they don't have compassion, they don't they don't have their balance of their power. They have just ego, right? And so that happened for me. And I was feeling this awareness of these abilities that I had that as I was healing my chronic illness, I was becoming more and more psychically connected, which is what happens for any human being who's like getting rid of an illness, right? I'm not special, but I thought I was, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, um, I changed my Instagram bio uh, to, cause I was, I was so sick of being this business coach back then I was business babe and it was right. so masculine, so structured. And so I was like, I'm, what can I be that blends this new me with the old me? And so I came up with, um, shamanic business mentor or something like that. And I put it in my Instagram bio and I got hit. Okay. I got hit and thank God I did. You know what I mean? Like I look at that now and I'm like, thank you because I would be such an asshole right now if like that didn't happen, you know? Um, so I, I just got a lot of people Mm. in my inbox who were telling me like, how dare you claim that you are a shaman? That was one thing that hit me. And I wasn't, it was shamanic business coaching. So it was like an adjective, but still how dare you claim that? Um, you know, who are you to steal indigenous traditions? People were so angry and so hurt. And I took a minute with it. And then I was like, yeah, this is, they're right. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like they're, they're actually right here. Um, if you have to call, this is, that was four years ago. If you have to call yourself a shaman, you know what I mean? If you have to, if you have to say I'm a shaman to be able to like brand your power and own your power. There's something wrong there. It doesn't compute for me. Um, so yeah, so that was a really beautiful correction that I got from the universe. And then I had something else too, where I had posted, this is the, also the other thing, like you got to practice discernment too, because there are, in, my teacher said to me, you know, indigenous people need healing too. And you have to remember that there are, there are people in the indigenous spectrum who are who are here trying to do the good work, right? Who are like really in a place of like, let me, let's all sit together in a circle. And then there are people who rightfully so are very angry and and want to hold that anger. And they're entitled to that. Everybody deserves to process how they're feeling. But I, as a facilitator and as a person have to practice discernment on what I ingest as truth and what I take in as like how it's going to affect me. And so when I did a post, um, back in, uh, again, this was like three or four years ago, I was talking about the land of Sedona and how, if you look on an indigenous map, the Sedona land wasn't owned by any particular tribe. And it was was about, uh, it was a legacy story about how these tribes, the Hopi and the Navajo, I think there were two others, they used Sedona as the hospital and they would all come to Sedona to meet and to heal. And that was literally the story I was telling but someone who was very angry and said, you know, how dare you say that this land wasn't owned by anybody? How dare you say that this land? And so my words were kind of misconstrued or not uh, particularly digested the way that I was trying to communicate this story, you know? Mm-hmm. 
um, that was told to me, right? And I was passing it down. So I had to start seeing like that was a correction in the sense of like, what does it look like when I acknowledge somebody's pain and allow them to be heard and hold space for them to express what they're feeling and to meet them in that energy without making it mean I'm a terrible person, I'm a horrible person, I'm, oh my God, I'm so evil that I did this and and to play that in my mind, you know? Um, yeah, so that was a correction. Um, I, I could keep going, I could keep going on a couple <laughs> others, but you get the point. It's, I, I look at these things as like loving corrections. Yeah. You know, um, I had a call with a friend of mine who was really navigating something like this, where she had that, like, she's white and she had that aggression of like, people were coming at her. She's like, I'm not doing anything wrong. And I, I said, like, if you, if you think that you're not listening, right? Like you're, you're in a loop mm -hmm. of, of how innocent you are, that you're not holding space to hear what is the perspective of this person that's coming to me. So, so those mm -hmm. experiences really taught me to like open up and to listen and to learn. Um, and then I also had corrections too, where like, you know, I work with Sage, I work with Cedar. I, I am really connected to these medicines. They're a big part of my prayer work. I'm, I'm in some ways, in some eyes, being incredibly disrespectful because of that. You know, I, I, I had done, um, Matt, I met, we did a video on Instagram where I asked Matt to work with a fan and to sage me. And, um, I got a lot of backlash. How dare you steal? She's stealing these traditions. She's smudging. And so I paid my teacher, my Lakota teacher, to have a call with me. And I said, this is what happened. Can you please educate me? Like, what, what is, where, where am I on the side of the fence? Am I right? Am I wrong? Is it, what, tell, tell me what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and we had a really loving talk where he shared stories about his own experiences with um, how he was projected upon in his traditions and what he's seen and witnessed in the communities that he's been a part of living on the reservations. And like, at the end of the day, he said to me, um, this is a tradition that is so public and so shared that it's okay for you to share it, you know? And that's what he had literally told me. It was like, please share this tradition, but there are other things that I cannot share, you know, yeah, and, totally. and finding the balance of that is important. But um, yeah. yeah, I got a lot of heat for that. And then I had to say to the community, I had to say, I'm standing behind this, you know, even if you don't like this, even if it hurts you, I'm sorry, even if this is triggering for people, I'm standing behind this share. And that's a very hard thing to do because they're knowing that a lot of people are going to see that as wrong, you know, um, yeah, mm -hmm. and, and that's that's still something I navigate internally. But those are the things that come yeah. up when you ask about corrections. Yeah, thank you for sharing so honestly, first of all. And yeah, I remember, I remember, I didn't realize it was four years ago. <laughs> I don't remember seeing you change your name to like the shamanic business coach or whatever it was, but I remember your post in response. And I just remember admiring the way you handled it because you were very receptive to the feedback and you were saying like 
I understand now this is why that was wrong and I apologize and I'm learning. And I think that's all we need to do is just normalize the fact that we're all learning and everyone is so afraid of this like cancel culture, right? Being canceled. But if you just say, and you're transparent about the learning that you're doing and who you're learning from and what you're doing to, you know, to do better, to learn more, just be open about that. Then no one's going to get mad when you make a mistake and you say, oh, I made a mistake and I'm learning and I'm committed and I'm sorry. Um, I think it can really just be not that big of a deal when we do that. So thank you for modeling that. Um, and on the sage thing and the cedar, I just wanted to say, yeah, my perspective is um, those are, yeah, there are certain things that are only for the elders to share, like inside private ceremonies. We don't, even amongst our own people, we don't share them. We don't make videos of them. We don't share them publicly. Smudging, as you said, it's become so widely known and used, um, but it's being called saging. To me, like if you're going to use it, um, and you weren't like you weren't like selling it and trying to profit off off of it. And most people aren't. They're just using it and they're they want it in their videos and they want to show people that they're using it or they want it at their circles. To me, that's also fine. But acknowledge where that's coming from. Give thanks to the land and like acknowledge the sacredness of these medicines um, that have been protected and harvested by the indigenous peoples. Like which you know, do you know where it was sourced from? Do you know which people? grew that medicine and can you at least acknowledge like this is an indigenous um you know practice that i personally am embracing and welcome you to do the same just acknowledging where it's from versus i think a lot of people were scared of that and so they just said i'm not smudging i'm saging mm -hmm. and my friend asha frost offers a different term which is just smoke medicine because even smudging at first i was like yeah just call it what it is call it smudging don't don't erase indigenous people further. We're always erased. We're always invisible. And now you're just going to call it saging and pretend it's your own thing. Like, no, but Asha was like, actually not every tribe community nation calls it smudging. So a more appropriate term um, is smoke medicine. So you can say I'm using smoke medicine and it's, you know, thanks to the indigenous peoples for passing on this tradition to us. Not everyone who is indigenous practices smoke medicine, but many do. And I've embraced it and this is where my medicines are from and we thank the land and it's all good. It's all good. You would be surprised how many ceremonial containers um, use medicine that is not like paid in reverence to like what. So when I started to deepen yeah. my path of medicine, I noticed that the opening prayers and the closing prayers that my teachers did were so completely different than what you know, the 24 year old woman in upstate New York serving medicine is doing. And and there's yeah. no reference to the tribes. And what I really appreciate is that uh, the communities and the tribes and the cultures that we work with are all honored and recognized and spoken to in prayer, in opening and close. And, and I think that's that's a really important thing to do as well. Um, and then I agree with you. I think that sage, we also have to be really careful because this is not just about uh, culturally appropriating, but this is also about aggressively harvesting medicines mm -hmm. that are sacred that need to be respected and treated with respect. So there are certain companies that I do not work with anymore after learning what I've learned. And I, I think that's mm -hmm. a really important thing that I just want to speak to is like, we need to be allies of one another as humans, but we also need to be allies for the plants and making sure that 
whatever you're working with, that it is created and harvested and brought into your space through right relationship channels and in integrity. Um, that's really important to me. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay. So we've, we've gone on for quite a while now. This has been such a, such a juicy conversation and I, I really appreciate all of your, yeah, all of your bravery, all of your honesty. I, I hope, you know, I know I learned, I gained some new insight from listening and, and leaning in and learning from your perspectives. I hope um, you learned some things as well and that everyone listening learned, learned some things as well and got some good medicine from this. Um, is there anything else you want people to know before we close out? Just like anything on your heart mm. you want to share? No, I think what's coming through for me, because I, I watched your roundtable, right? I know I brought that up at the beginning of this episode, but I think what was so impactful for me was to feel the energy of all of the sisters who felt safe enough to be seen in those calls and to share their emotions and to express um, energetically, publicly like that, what they were moving through as they were going through your study and your content and I just want to acknowledge everybody who has the courage to sit in conversations like this, um, to say thank you for doing that. And to, um, yeah, to, to just say also, like, I, I am a student first, you know, so I, I bear as much, you know, humility and compassion as I can. Um, but I'm always learning. And so, if there were things that you watched me learn in this conversation, you know, I asked for that grace as well. And um, hopefully we all learn together and continue to learn together through conversations like this. So well said. Thank you so much. And thank you again so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you again so, so much for listening. If you would like to thank me in return, if you got any value, insights, new perspectives, or you just appreciated this episode or enjoyed this episode, the best way to thank a podcaster is to share with others. Spread the love, spread the magic, take a screenshot of the episode, share it on your Instagram or TikTok stories, and tag me at Emily Ann Brandt so I can personally thank you for tuning in and stay connected. This is truly a community that we are building here, and I love staying in connection with you. I look forward to talking to you again soon, and I'm sending you so much love and gratitude.